Um, I went on a retreat, um, and actually it was um, it was with four guys who I never met before. They came across from from your area, from from Vancouver, uh, and they came across and had a we had a great time in the north of Scotland. We did um, minimalist hiking, which is yeah, it was it was all the way across to Scotland. It was incredible. So there was five of us plus the instructor in this remote house in the middle of the Scottish Highlands. We did um, minimalist hiking, so we went up a mountain in a pair of shorts and nothing else, just hiking boots. We did cold water immersions in the in the rivers and the, the lochs. And it was amazing, it was incredible. And then I continued my practice and then lockdown, lockdown happened. And The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to my seven chakras, and now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, we're going to talk about different aspects of health, different levers that you can pull when it comes to experiencing and optimizing your health outcomes. We're going to talk about our favorite topic, breath work and cold exposure, maybe some heat therapy. We're going to even be talking about meditation, um, grounding, and all things natural that you can tap into um, without much expense at all. Because uh, for the most part, nature is available to a lot of us and basically giving you some inspiration, some motivation, some encouragement in terms of how you can um, become more healthy in 2023, but also experience more bliss, more joy and realize your goals and your visions for this year. So I am really excited for this particular interview. So make sure that you stay till the very end. And also, if you like this episode, make sure that you subscribe, hit follow, or hit the plus button on your device, because that will ensure that you do not miss out on any future episodes, because we keep re releasing new episodes, and some of you don't get it, because you are listening to the episode, but you're not subscribed. And make sure you share this episode with friends, family, anyone that could use this information. Just let them know. All right. With that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Nigel McCollin. Nigel is a health and wellness coach who specializes in educating and empowering people into making positive changes with their lifestyle for the benefit of their overall health and well-being. Nigel has worked with clients looking to improve their health and wellness for over 20 years, becoming self-employed in 2000 with an initial business as a personal trainer and remedial Pilates teacher. He has grown his business to include intrinsic biomechanics coaching, sports and 
remedial massage therapy, strength and conditioning coaching, primal health coaching, and soma breathwork meditation as well. And we're going to cover uh, some of these topics on today's episode. Uh, and I sense that you, these are topics and themes that you in your life are very excited to explore as well. So before going any further, Nigel, welcome to our show. Thank you. Yes. Um, big thank you for having me here. It's really, uh, really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're very welcome. Um, thanks for joining me on my show. And um you know, uh, I'm not sure if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, but typically we begin each and every episode with um, with the inception. In other words, where were you born and brought up and what was your childhood like? Oh, that's good. Yeah, great question to start off with, isn't it? Yeah, I was born in Edinburgh mm -hmm. uh, in Scotland, in the capital, and we initially uh, lived in Nigeria for three years after that. So we moved out to Nigeria not long after I was born. My dad was a, a quantity chart surveyor working with the roads department and network in Nigeria. Um, spent three years of my life there. I can't remember a huge amount about it. And then we came back from Nigeria and moved into a town just outside Edinburgh. I was there for quite a few years, and at least until my um, early uh teenage years, to when I moved down to where I'm still staying now in a place called Gullen, which is right on the coast, in the countryside. And as a, a child growing up with the beach on your doorstep and lots of free space and not in a city, it was it was a, a massive change, a massive shift for me. Small classes at my local school, there were maybe 25 of us in a classroom and it was a really small network, but a really close group of friends and people together. Uh, it was a, a great, a great childhood. Uh, I have an older brother who now lives down in England, down in Cheltenham, down south, and we are still very close. And um, I have a family now in Gullen. It's still the, the same place I was brought up in. I'm married to uh, my wife, Alice, and we have two kids, an, an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old, and two dogs. One's called Mia and one's called Archie. And we have a really good life here, um, especially in the last two years. That has been very much highlighted how lucky we are to be living with such free open space, especially during the COVID pandemics and lockdowns that we had all that accessible on our doorstep just to go out and venture down to the beach and out into the countryside whenever we wanted to. We weren't locked up in a city. So uh, I have a really, really good life here. I love my life, as we say, as Soma Breath Instructors. And um, I'm, yeah, really, really happy at the moment. That's me kind of <laughs> in a nutshell there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I know Edinburgh is in uh, Scotland, right? But the current mm -hmm. city that you are in, is that in Scotland as well? Yeah, so I'm. it's not a city. It's 20 miles east of Edinburgh, down the coast from Edinburgh. So um, okay. we're still, we're, we're near, you know, we're, we're quite near the border. We're probably an hour of driving away from the, the border between Scotland and England, um, but very much, um, okay. very much Scottish. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So for somebody who has uh, not been to England, not been to Scotland, how high level would you say is Scotland different from England? This is for somebody who, you know, has listened to our show. What would you say is sort of the 
noticeable shifts between maybe the culture of Scotland versus England? Anything that comes to your mind? Ooh. <laughs> Um, there's always been a bit of, of, of old school rivalry between the, the Scottish and the English. You know, it's, it's yeah. in Scotland we call the English the old enemy. There's been a, there's been a long running kind of um, <laughs> love hate relationship with the English. Let's say that. Um, yeah, yeah. So culturally, we, we are we are quite different. Um, as as a kind of health and wellness expert or specialist, I. I don't drink uh, and I don't obviously smoke and anything along those lines, but there can be quite a big drinking culture in Scotland. So, you know, uh, it's the home of whiskey and various other sort of drinks. But so I, I don't take part in any of that, which, you know, is probably a bit unusual for a Scotsman <laughs> to not drink whiskey. Wow, um, okay. But yeah, we're, we're, we're in the same island, you know, we're Scotland and England are on the same island, but we are culturally quite different. Um, the weather is different, the people are different, we speak differently, you know, but we come under this in the same flag, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So how is the weather different? Because is it more uh, more rains, more boggy? I've heard there are a lot of bogs up north, right, in terms of like yeah, marshlands a little bit. How... You can drive up from, from England and you get near the border, usually around about, you know, Newcastle, approaching Scotland, and you can turn a corner and you, you hit this wall of mist and fog. And it's not there all the time, but you're you're often reminded that you're now back in Scotland because the weather changes quite drastically. Um, and obviously the, the further okay. north you go in Scotland, there's a lot more hills. So we do get a lot of snow up there. And yes, you're right, there are a lot of um, moors, as we call them, which are boggy wetlands where there's... They're like sinkholes, apparently. They're... they're um, they, they contain a lot of water. They sink. They absorb a lot of carbon dioxide. So they're actually hugely beneficial to the ecosystem round about Scotland. Um, so as you go further north, there's less population, less um, towns and villages, and more open land with mountain regions, moors and bogs, and so on. And it, if you go up north, you can you can a not see anybody for quite a long time because it is so sparsely populated. But you can also have some amazing, truly beautiful scenery at the further north you go. Some of the beaches on the west coast of north of Scotland, you could be in a Caribbean island because the sand is white and the, and the water is crystal clear blue. So it's it's um, it's beautiful. Yeah. You should come over. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> I definitely, uh, from the looks of it and from the sounds of it, uh, I do want to make a trip to Scotland for sure. I'm sure I'd like mm -hmm. the, you know, uh, outdoors and like you pointed out the ocean and the breeze yeah. and the changing weather that's really really interesting so when you were growing up what was your first job like my first were you, job did you go straight away into health and wellness or were you doing something else no or no, no, was, no no was that like? um i think most people in our most teenagers in our village that i, I stay in when we're of a certain age we were encouraged to do a paper round do you know what that is? That's when you're delivering newspaper to people's letterboxes, mailboxes, and that was my that was my first job was was a a paper boy, and that gave you a little bit of money, mm -hmm. a little bit of cash to spend through the week, um, and it, it was it was great. It was a little introduction into you know you had to put in some work, so you had to get up early in the morning to get the paper deliveries mm -hmm. done before you went out to school. So a wee bit of discipline, um, 
yeah, it was a, a nice introduction to the working life. Nice. <laughs> and so at what point did you decide to go down the route of uh, health and wellness and become a coach slash uh, instructor mm -hmm. uh, in that area? When did that so happen? When I was at, at secondary school, so um, high school, so that's my years between the ages of 12 to 17. Um, our qualifications mm -hmm. are called were called hires in those days. So um, as you got near the end of your school term, you did these higher level qualifications. And I took biology as a subject in higher. And I struggled with it, really struggled with it. So I, I, I got one-to-one -one tuition from a family friend who was a, a biology lecturer. And it just opened up this big part of me that I all of a sudden realized that I I really, really liked it. And it restarted really to resonate and I started to absorb the work. So when I left school, the, the natural progression for me was to probably do a degree or some university or college work in biology. So I, I went into biology um, at university. And actually, after a year, I dropped out of that course because I didn't like the, the balance of bi biology and chemistry. But I'd opened up this 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 more in my head of I, I, I like finding out about systems in the body. I like the, 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 uh, the science behind everything. And obviously, I've got that science sort of brain that just, again, it just resonated. So that kind of led me from there, dropping out of university with a, a taste of what I was wanting to do. Um, and it wasn't until well, I went back, to, I went to work for three years in in sports and community development. And that gave me a taste for the science, the biology, mixing and matching it with with development of strength, of speed, of endurance, wherever it was, of, uh, of working in a gym. And then I returned back to university after that to further develop my skills. And that's when I became qualified in sports coaching and sport development, which is, you know, led me on then to becoming self-employed and start my own business in that field. And uh, one of the things you specialize in is primal health coaching, right? Yeah. So what, is, what does that entail? Primal. So primal health coaching is, the founder is a guy called Mark Sisson. Um, and he mm -hmm. was looking at modern day lifestyles, diets, and what, what, why are we still getting sick, even though our modern day, we should be advancing in, in, our, in our health we have so much accessible to us now, but actually there's been a decline in diabetes on the rise. You know, um, people are actually getting more obese than, than they were, say, 50 years ago. So Mark Sisson was looking at the the, the paradigm and the, the, um, the current dietary and lifestyle analysis and seeing what, what's gone wrong here. Where, where did this... Why did we start to decline in health and wellness? So he's taking sort of you know anthropological evidence from from um, primal hunter and gatherers what did they eat what did how did they move how did they sleep and taking all that information and applying that to a more modern day approach so you have three basic principles that you are avoiding grains you're avoiding seed oils or industrial seed oils like sunflower you canola oil uh, and any ones that are being had gone through an extraction process with heat that can cause further inflammation in your body. 
and no sugar and processed foods. So if you're abiding by those those three main goals, then you're eliminating a lot of the modern day influences that that are potentially causing a lot more of these issues with our health. So grains were introduced. The, the, the idea is, and the science says that they were introduced 15,000 years ago. And from then, things have started to slow decline. Um, take out the grains and you've got more of a primal, a primal health, primal living, a primal lifestyle, um, diet and, you know, overall well-being. And take out the industrial seed oils because they wouldn't have been around 15,000 years ago. Um, it's, it's you know, there's, there's a bit of um, animal products, you know, meats. And so there's the, the vegan world wouldn't agree with this approach, but that's, that's you know, it's still, it's still very, um, you can still debate it whether or not we we ate meat when we were hunter-gatherers, but that's that's the primal health coaching, basically the, the, uh, the mindset in that one in that one conversation there got it got it and along those very same lines what is your uh, definition of health i know there are different ways to that a person can assess but to you what is health yeah i i i often ask my clients i'll say to them are you thriving all right are you you've got this lifestyle that you live are you thriving? Do you wake up in the morning and feel, yes, I'm ready to go. You know, I, I'm, I've lost for life. I'm, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. I feel I've got, you know, a good amount of energy. I'm sleeping well, you know, um, testosterone, whatever, you know, hormone production is there. Um, you're not, you're not got any obvious signs of this sort of degenerative cascade. You know, you're not abnormally graying. You've not got a, um, a big belly, you know, are you thriving on what you're currently doing for your health and wellness? Because if you're not thriving, then something is probably out of balance. Yeah. So health is, although it's a very individualized, um, for yourself, you know, do you have that, that thrive and that thirst for life? Because if you don't, then you're maybe needing to change something in that, in that system, in those choices that you're making in your life. That would probably be my, Mm -hmm idea of health got it got it so you personally do you have grains or have you eliminated grains from your diet or do you do sometimes grains i definitely don't do wheat i think wheat has been okay wheat has been tampered with so much that even in the last 30 right. 40 years wheat has wheat has changed so much it's now it's now smaller it's got two heads instead of one you know, no wonder there are problems coming from um, wheat consumption, inflammatory. People are choosing gluten-free lifestyles. So I, I don't mm-hmm. have wheat. The only grain I may have now and again would be a small amount of rice and a small amount of oats. Okay. Primal Health allows a little bit of flexibility because oats can be beneficial for some people in a small dose, mm-hmm. and so can rice. So if yep. you put, if you boil rice and put it in a fridge and then let it cool down, it's actually very prebiotic. It contains a lot of the wow. the the energy or the food that a probiotic um, bacteria needs to thrive in your gut. So a small amount of cooked boiled white rice is, is can be beneficial. So can oats as well. But definitely the the harder grains, uh, and they never touch. I don't eat bread. I don't eat pasta. Um, stay away from those harder ones. Some you can get away with. Some you can't. But again, each person's 
individual microbiome that is completely unique to them. So Adita, your your, your um, insulin could spike if you have a bowl of, of oats and then you spend three or four hours with elevated glucose levels because your body can't deal with it. I could have a bowl of oats and my insulin levels will spike and then return back to normal within, within 45 minutes, which is fine. You know, I could probably get away with a little bit of that, but not much. Whereas yourself, if that was the case, three or four hours at, at the level of pre-diabetic level is not healthy. So it is very individualized. So there is a bit of, of trial and error, but definitely wheat. The harder grains are for me and, and should be the majority of people should be out of your diet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's very true. I'm noticing also that health is very individualized, right? Like if you mm-hmm. think about our primal uh, ancestors, uh, well, they were from different parts of the world. Some of them maybe thrived on more of a meat-based diet. Some of them mm-hmm. probably thrived on more of a vegetarian-based diet. And because uh, our ancestors have been on that diet for such a long time, all of a sudden, because of globalization today, if somebody automatically because of what they see on the news switch to a predominantly vegan diet they might have issues on the other side somebody who has traditionally had only vegetarian they have a lot of beef and other types of red meats they might have issues and uh, so i see where you uh, come from in terms of uh, health being a very individualized approach also i noticed that some people have two three coffees during the day and it doesn't affect them that much whereas some people if they have one coffee after 2 p.m they get the jitters all of a sudden and they're not Mm -hmm. able to focus and things like that and even with sleep some people are like heavy sleepers whereas some people even there's a slight noise outside the window and they wake up and then they you know find it hard to sleep again so i totally get where you're coming from no you're absolutely 100 right there and i think there has to be that that metabolic flexibility there that you know, you're not one size fits all, and I think I think the dairy, the dairy is a big, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, dairy is a big example of that, because the further the further away you you um, you migrate it away from the warmer parts of the world, like the central, you know, uh, Ethiopian area, as you moved further and further away, you needed to have something that would have kept you alive through the winter, maybe in the snowy areas. So they found that. Some of the um, the nomadic herders live in Finland and other parts of, of, of Asia as well. They were able to keep producing lactase past seven years old. So lactase is what is used to break down lactose, which is the predominant um, sugar in milk. If you didn't have that, you couldn't break down lactose. You'd get ill and you'd probably die in those days. Whereas as the years went on, these 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 nomadic herders, the children that were born were evolving with a um, a genetic adaptation which allowed them to keep producing lactase beyond their, their seven years old. So they, keep, they kept having the ability to digest milk, proteins and lactose oh. as they went older and later on in their life. So there's, a, there's an example of some people can tolerate dairy 
because of their ancestry and their 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 migratory pathways that they they followed when they were hunter gatherers. But some people can't tolerate dairy. It's interesting stuff, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. that's very true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very very <laughs> interesting, and it's interesting how. Yeah, you know, if somebody, maybe if it's an influencer, finds out that they have issues with um, consuming um, milk, all of a sudden they share the word and everyone feels as if they should Mm -hmm. be eliminating milk or dairy from their diet. And it's true to a certain extent. I remember when I was in India, I used to have a lot of uh, milk, mainly Mm -hmm. because, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, news and uh, advertisements, they keep promoting milk as mm-hmm. a way to uh, build health. They say it's essential. And that's how the grandparents also tell you because of uh, seeing what is on television that milk is good for you. So I used to have milk. But I used to notice that I would have uh, a perennial cold, like my nose was always, you know, I would have the sniffles all the time and people you should notice this and I still remember telling them that I have a perennial cold. When I came to Canada, um, I stopped drinking milk in the morning and I stopped having the cereals a lot in the morning and I noticed that all of a sudden, uh, you know, I don't I don't have those sniffles anymore. Uh, and then, <laughs> maybe about a year back, I just for the sake of nostalgia, I got some milk and some cereal just to remind myself of the old days. And I had it for a couple of days. And all of a sudden, I had the sniffles again, which proved <laughs> yeah. that it was the milk that was creating this inflammation in my nose. And so I stopped it and never, you know, I don't have that anymore, right? It's uh, excessive mucus production. Yeah, yeah your body's having to deal, exactly. with, deal with the, the milk, yeah. That's a, a bit of a, a exactly. classic example of, of your self-experimentation, isn't it? Yeah, where that, yeah, that yeah, produced yeah, exactly. a yeah, great, a good result. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at an, at an individual, or maybe if you look at yourself as well, over the years, what are some levers that you have experienced, experimented with, or found out that really help when it comes to achieving better health outcomes? Yeah, I've, I've always been, first and foremost, let's experiment on myself before... I put this out to the the the, the outside world. Um, so the big shift was when I gave up the greens. Um, that was before I was a primal health coach. That was several several years spent going to lectures at conferences and and hearing what what other people were 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 doing. The lecturer would stand up and say that they've 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 taken out greens out their diet or they've taken out this out their diet, but they've introduced this to their diet and they've had some. Some benefits. So I go home, experiment myself, and see how do I feel now after two weeks? Like you, your cold disappeared. How do I feel after taking grains out of my diet? So that was a big shift to me. But I, I found that if I take some, if I took something out, for grains, for instance, I'd often be looking for something to replace it. So I'd buy a product that was deemed as being healthy. You know, it was just a substitute. And actually, it was not any more healthy than um, it was still as unhealthy as the greens itself. They'd taken out something and put something else in return. So until you actually strip it back and strip it back until you find out, you know, what is the essence, what is the source of of good health and, and nourishment through diet, and and then you look at it's you know it, it's very little is unprocessed. So take out a vast majority of your processed food at your diet, 
and you, and you will see health benefits straight away. And of course, the processing means longevity. Longevity usually means some form of preser- preservation, whether it's a industrial seed oil, like sunflower oils is in most over-the-counter um, you know, and shelf products that have a long life in them. You can grab anything that has a shelf life on it of several months and it's guaranteed to have sunflower oil or canola oil as a as a way of preserving that food. So for me, that was self-experimentation was was starting to listen to how I react much the same as you. You know, you, you, you did without milk for so long, you brought it back in, the X, Y, Z happened. So uh, I was the same as that. So months and years of just finding out what works best for me and then encouraging my clients to do the same sort of idea of N equals one. Try it, see how you feel, you know, give it a bit of time. It's not going to happen overnight. You need to do this for 21 days minimum and then re- and reassess it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a really systematic approach to it. Got it. So food was obviously one that you mentioned. You mm-hmm. eliminated the processed foods and you noticed the change. Were there any other levers uh, like high level that you feel that somebody can look into and see how much they're getting off or how much less they're getting off in order to uh, experience uh, more vitality more health Mm -hmm. my i think my my pitch has always come at, at a little bit more of the athletic training so how can how can i use this knowledge and apply it to say my personal training background and for a lot of time, it was recovery. So you, you go to a training session and then you have to recover. We know that we have to take our recovery time because rest is just as important as, as training. So for me, um, applying, applying some knowledge from the recovery, so not just eating better, but training more effectively as well. So becoming more aware of periodization, how I can... I can set my goals throughout the year, you know, from January to December. How is the training going to come along? Where are my rest periods? In those rest periods, what can I do to enhance the rest period, to enhance the recovery? Is that going to be a cold bath or is that going to be some foam rolling? Definitely it's going to be hydration and, and, nutri- and tr- nutrition. But what else can I add into that equation to help recover? So it's not just foot on the gas all the time that I'm actually taking time to recover in preparation for the next training session. So for me, I think it was a lot of it was coming from the athletic background and the strength and conditioning and that there was influences getting pulled in there for recovery, mm-hmm. you know? So when you look at uh, athleticism, mm-hmm. uh, not for an athlete per se, but for mm-hmm. an everyday individual perhaps who's listening to this episode, is there any advice you have in terms of how many days a week you know, to go to the gym, to lift weights, how many days in a week to do some kind of movement, um, you know, maybe um, yoga or some other uh, move and flow, you know, practice. Is there any thoughts around that for a person to remain, you know, healthy and vital and feel like that or get that feeling in the morning of of thriving mm-hmm. in terms of movement and lifting weights? Any 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 thoughts around that? There, there are various avenues or roads you could take into optimizing all this. If you're doing periodization, you're going in a basically a deep dive into your 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 training year, 
where you break it down into cycles of okay. training, so macro cycles, meso, macro, micro. So we're going to train hard here for this week, but we're going to follow that with a bit of a recovery week. You could really go into that deep and look at how we can periodize this, so ups and downs, ups and downs. The um, I told you that I was doing Power Hour today with Soma Breath on the Samadhi um, platform. So my, my topic with the Power Hour today was on, on heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is, is quite a buzzword at the moment. And that's another way that you can monitor how much recovery you're giving yourself. So you get a score of 0 to 100 daily, depending on what device you're monitoring with. The Aura Ring is quite a good one to be using. You can get a, a, a sweet beat HRV monitor. You should use a, a Wahoo ticker or a Polar H10 chest strap monitor. Other devices like Whoop, um, some of the Apple Watches, they'll give you this, this score. And it's like your battery level. So say you wake up in the morning and it's it's sitting up at a 79 or an 81. That's a good score. You know your body is ready to take on a stress. It can go to the gym, you can lift heavy. But if you wake up in the morning and it's saying it's 35, well, maybe that's an indication or a sign that actually you're not thriving today. You need some time out. You need to go and do that movement class or that yoga class or that breathwork session. Or when you're moving, doing your stretches, you're breathing in and out and you're slowing down your exhalation. So it's actually going to be switching on that parasympathetic system, which is the the rest and digest and relax system, which is helping your recovery. It's not just foot on the gas all the time. You are taking some time out. And then if you can recover from that, you then know that you're ready for your next training session. Some people ignore it and it's just foot in the gas the whole time Mm. until they get a cold or, or an illness, which forces them to take that time out. But if you want to go that bit more in depth and you can monitor, you can use these wearables. You could even just use your one to 10. How do I feel today? Nine or 10, great. But if you mm-hmm. feel sluggish, I feel like I want to go back to my bed. It's a two or a three. You know, you know then that actually something needs to be intervened with here and changed. Yeah, and that's when you call upon mm-hmm. all your relaxing non Let's call them non, uh, non, non-gym or you know something that's involving movement, but it's not a training session. It's active recovery and bringing in that recovery, but you're still moving. Still feels like you're doing something. Interesting. That is a nice approach to not just uh, checking in with yourself to see how you're feeling, but also using devices to see what your HRV is. And then comparing it with your subjective experience to then decide, do I need some more maybe intense workout at the gym, some movement, or do I need some rest and recuperation before I can then go back, um, you know, and attack, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of devices, uh, I know you mentioned some of them. Which one, as on today, would would you recommend for measuring HRV on an ongoing basis? The Sweetbeat app with the Polar uh, device or some other that you've seen that does a good job of that? The, the, obviously, there's a few factors that are going to influence that. One is the price because the Aura Ring, although it's yep. a, a wearable, so it's on you all the time. You don't have to you don't have to stick the belt on and take five minutes out of, right. your, of your journey. So it's going to give you that instant readout first thing in the morning. Um, that's quite pricey. Yeah, you're, you're talking... I think it might be four hundred dollars for that plus a, a monthly subscription wow. to Aura for the for the uh-huh. Generation Four. 
Whereas a Sweet Beat HRV app from Sweetwater Health, only get it on iPhone at the moment, but you were you buy yourself a, a Wahoo ticker or a Polar H10 chest strap monitor and you Bluetooth it to your, your phone. But that involves you taking time, sticking on the chest monitor, you know, sitting down or moving around for just five, 10 minutes and getting an, an accurate HRV reading. That's the, by far the most accurate one that's there is the chest monitor. But because it involves doing something, then it, it might not be, it might not appeal to everyone. Whereas the, the Aura Ring or even the Whoop um, device, which is a, it's like a watch goes on your wrist. Again, not as accurate, but a wearable. Doesn't have to be, you know, it can, can be continually giving you biofeedback. Um, there's another one called Core Sense. Again, it's a finger in a in a device made by uh, Elite HRV. Again, it's saying you have to sit down and do that there and then. It's not a wearable. Mm-hmm. So it depends what time you want to dedicate to this, how much money you want to spend, and so on. Yeah, again, individualized. Action Tribe, it's a good time to think about in your life. Day in and day out, how much time do you actually take to um, take a break and check in with yourself? How stressful are you feeling right now? You know, um, how how peaceful, how calm are you feeling right now? And maybe even journaling it, because I feel that that uh, check in makes a big difference, especially if you have the practice of reviewing reviewing it over the week, and then you you might be like, you know. This week, I was, there were three days where I was feeling very stressed out and then sort of correlating between what other activities were you doing or what was happening in your life that probably led to you feeling that way. That is a good way of uh, remaining mindful uh, and, and sort of maybe taking corrective measures wherever possible in order to improve your overall le- level of uh, vitality and thriving. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Nigel, Just knowing, uh, question knowing for you, your body. How... how yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, along the same lines, uh, you know, you, you mentioned about HRB. How did you discover breathwork? How did breathwork come into your life? So about six years ago, going on seven years ago, <laughs> the last two years, just kind of <laughs> been a bit of a, yeah, a, yeah. A, a weird two years. You forget to count those two years, don't you? Um, yeah, so about six, seven years yeah, ago, yeah. I, I became interested in the Wim Hof method. Um, from watching him him on TV doing uh, uh, an Arctic marathon and being able to hold his hold his breath and and, and do a, a really long swim under the ice uh, in Norway, I think it was. So I became involved in, in Wim Hof using the app that they have on the on the App Store and just learning. Um, I was really intrigued by it. I I, I liked the, the idea of the ice exposure, the cold exposure that appealed to me because it was. Not that you're meant to bring your ego into it, but it felt, you know, I was I was able to get into cold water and stay there for a little longer, tapping into your breath. Um, I went on a retreat, um, and actually it was um, it was with four guys who I never met before. They came across from from your area, from from Vancouver, uh, and they came across and had a we had a great time in the north of Scotland. We did um, minimalist. Oh, hiking, four people is, came from Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, it was all the way across to Scotland. Okay. It was incredible. So it was five of us plus okay. the instructor in this remote house in the middle of the Scottish Highlands. We did um, minimalist hiking. So we went up a mountain in a pair of shorts and nothing else, just hiking boots. We did cold water immersions in the in the rivers and the, the lochs. And it was amazing. It was incredible. And then 
I continued with my practice and then lockdown, lockdown happened in 2000. Oh, okay. And uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't working. So within the first week, I thought I need to get something else to do here. I need to focus my attention. And I listened to Ben Greenfield's podcast. Um, and he was he was talking about his experiences with Soma Breath. So I, I got onto YouTube and I, I did my first session of Soma Breath and was completely hooked and transformed by this this approach to breath work, having come from the, the Wim Hof method. Summer breath just appealed to me so much more on, on so many different levels. And it was just this can of worms being opened, just went deeper and deeper and deeper into summer breath, started to get qualified, took the master's program on board, um, had more time than I would normally have to do this because of, you know, our work was less because of COVID. And just took a deep dive into summer breath and just recently became qualified in, in as a summer breath master instructor six months ago. Um, haven't looked back since. Absolutely loving it. And I still use the Wim Hof method now and again. I still go back to it. It has a different purpose, a different role. But my bread and butter, my daily dose, as we call it in summer breath, is summer breath. I love that you shared about the retreat that you had gone to um, along with the people from Vancouver pre-COVID. That sounds really, really exciting and interesting. I think, uh, were they all all men? Men, right? It was a men's men's retreat? It was open to anybody. I feel that, uh, um, open to anybody. Okay. I feel that, you, you know, when men come together in particular, I feel that deep down there's a craving for brotherhood, for adventure, and sort of uh, going into the unknown along the lines of the hero's journey that um, that so many people talk about, including Joseph Campbell, to sort of go beyond, uh, especially going through calculated amounts of discomfort <laughs> and, uh, and uncertainty and coming back with the magical portion, so to speak. So that's 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 awesome that you had that experience. Was that was that a Wim Hof uh, retreat or was that a general kind of um, experience? No, my my the instructor on that course was um, a guy who's now a friend of mine. Um, we became okay. friends through it. His name is Alan Brownlee, and he's a Wim Hof method instructor. So it was a Wim Hof method um, organized well from himself, but he was using the the Wim Hof Method um, Foundation, the basis for his retreats. It was all based around the breathwork and the cold exposure. Um, and it it was it was an incredible. It was eight days. There was no mobile phone signal, no no um, no computers, no iPads. <laughs> we all we all, all came right. together in the evenings and sat around the fire in in the in the, the lodge, and we all talked. Yeah. Whereas everyone had their phones, we've sat on our phones, and but we all talked and we all bonded, and, and like you say, for for men to come together without without any women in the room, it's, there's no objection to women being in the room. But when men come together like that, there is, you know, there's a real sharing of of, uh, of experiences and knowledge, and it, it was a really it was a, a real life changing week away. Now I know that in certain Scandinavian countries, um, cold exposure, cold plunging. That's, a, that's part of the culture, right? And a lot of times they might mix it and blend it with some hot sauna as well. Is that a thing in Scotland also? 
because I know part of it is in Vancouver as well, or at least Canada. It's part of the culture, at least once in a year, to do a polar dip. But what is it about? Is it, is it in Scotland as well? The culture and tradition of doing cold immersions? I, I think in the last two years, cold water immersion has become really, really popular. Like I said earlier on, okay. um, I stay on the coast, so we have cold water on our doorstep. Personally, yeah. I, I mix my sauna with a cold shower. And I do that twice a week, uh, okay. especially in the winter time. I'm not so sure that sauna, the, the heat versus the cold, is such a big thing yet. But the cold is definitely the immersion. There are there are groups of people down on our beach every day going into the water. Even my wife does it, and my wife never used to like going in the cold. Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. I found that a lot of people have hesitation towards the cold, but when people do it they develop a sense of uh, excitement, enthusiasm, uh, drive towards the cold because of so many proven health benefits of doing um, regular, ideally daily cold water immersions or cold water showers. I do a cold water shower daily and I've been doing that for the last five years at least. And whenever I get a chance, I go into the cold, uh, you know, ocean slash sea as well, because I've, I I really love it. And so I can see why when people experience it, they then you know become a fan of it. There, so there's a there's a book that's come out recently, yeah, um, from a, a Danish. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've heard of. She's a Danish researcher who's been researching cold water exposure for the last mm. eight years. Her name is so- Soberg, okay. and she has a she has a podcast with Ranjan Chat Doctor Ranjan Chatterjee, and she just answers a lot of the questions about how cold should it be, how long should it be in there for, how many times a week, what's it doing to your system, uh, and actually, when you look at it, she says that it's sixteen degrees centigrade and below to get that stimulus that you need, that cold water reaction. Ah, okay. So it doesn't have to be freezing water with yeah. ice cubes in it. It can be a minute and a half okay. of 16 degrees or lower temperature. So, you know, people who, who worry about going into the cold, you know, it doesn't have to be as cold as you think it does. <laughs> but I think the ice cubes make for good Instagram photos, don't you think? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome that's amazing and so uh for you what what do you like about soma breath in particular or some of the other breathwork practices because i'm also a soma breath work instructor as you know and that's how we met as well and i'm also working towards my uh you know soma breath master uh certification which i've been you know, delaying a bit, but I know it's all in divine timing. So for you, what do you feel? What draws you towards Soma Breath? What do you feel it's, uh, it's um, I wouldn't say better, but what, 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 what about it aligns with your goals and your visions? Yeah, I think, I think we can thank Wim Hof immensely for what he has done for, for the breathwork community. My experience with Wim Hof and my knowledge of physiology, I feel now, knowing Soma Breathwork 
in and out. I feel that, that the Wim Hof method is very sympathetically charging and very dominant. You know, he's, he's restricted to one or two different types of breathing techniques, which are going to tap into your, your, your stimulating the sympathetic. You're, you're into that fight or flight response where it allows you to go into the water and, and deal with the stressors. And that's fantastic. I mean, people have got some life-changing results and revolutionizing their health with just purely the Wim Hof method. But if I if I had a, a client that was was very sympathetically charged, like they were very stressed, very um, working a lot, training a lot, stressed lifestyle at home, maybe drinking excessively, you know, smoking, would I want to then take that that person, that individual, further into more sympathetic charged responses? So with a soma breath, we can change the ratio of the rhythmic breathing alongside the fact that it's got an amazing music to go along with it, which helps you get into that zone. But as you, as you know, the rhythmic breathing is manipulated. So we can have an inhale of two count or an exhale with an exhale of four, an inhale of four, an exhale of four, an inhale of four, an exhale of eight. So if we're doubling up the exhalation, we can actually reduce the, the, the sympathetic charge and bring in more of a parasympathetic break if that person needs it. So we have the ability to manipulate the ratios, make it faster, we can make it slower. Um, I like the breath hold retentions, how there's a quick sip of air and then going back into that, that further breath hold, which is different again to the Wim Hof method. So it allows you to get a little mm-hmm. bit deeper into those breath holds. The community is amazing as well. Uh, with with Soma, um, I've never done a, a qualification where where everyone it feels like you are part of a tribe where everyone's got your back, everyone's helping each other, and they're all coming together for the benefit of breathwork and the benefit of each and every individual improving their health and improving their their wellness and and devoting and and that dedicating that time to helping themselves and others as well. I mean, when Wim Hof methods like that as well. But it's just more appealing and it's more aligned with what I I kind of adhere to nowadays. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Yeah, I think uh there are certain breathworks, like you mentioned, that are more like sympathetic dominant that are great, but can be done only on um certain occasions. Um and when done more regularly. It might not be the best for the nervous system, but ever so often you can always blend it up and have this more sympathetic shamanic style breathwork session, which happens in Soma as well, where, you know, you enter into a deep state of trance or maybe a state of hypnosis, or you feel that, you know, uh, feeling all over your body. It's great. But then it's good to also, like you sort of implied, work with somebody who's holding space for you and knows your background so that they prescribe a certain breathing technique, but also ensure that you don't go overboard. Because we hear these stories from time to time, right? Where people, maybe they go overboard and they breathe too, you know, too heavily and go too much into their sympathetic. And uh, that can cause issues, right? Especially when it comes to experiencing trauma and not being able to, you know, hold it in. Yeah. You can, you can take that, that trauma or that, that charge head on 
and use it to yeah. revisit any any um, trauma that you've had. But again, like you say, it, it can be it can re-traumatize that person. You know, so I think we have to look mm-hmm. at what current state is their nervous system in when you when you meet them for the first time, because their nervous system is not robust enough to to withstand a fast Kevlar session or a fast sh- shamanic breathing for an hour. Then you're just going to push that person mm-hmm. over the edge even more. So as soma breath instructors, we can find that breath ratio, usually a two four breath, and we can reset the nervous system preparing them for the longer breath holds, preparing them for eventually going for a a faster breath work because we wouldn't want to take them straight in there Mm -hmm. straight away. We can build them up to that. So we're gradually helping them out. And in that process of two, four breathing, four, four balancing breathing, we might see see stuff coming up that a little bit of trauma coming in, in, in small, smaller doses rather than this big, huge dump of, of trauma coming out. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you're, when you're, yeah. Taking someone back into a trauma release, I've heard it's been said several times that you are you're you're going back into the the stress response, but finishing the cycle. So if the, if the last trauma they had put them into a sympathetic system, mm-hmm. and they didn't finish that cycle, yeah. they didn't come back down to rest and digest. You take them back into it, and you can help them finish that cycle. So they 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 deal with the trauma. And they let their body calm back down again, which they might not be. They might still be stuck in that that vicious cycle of sympathetic dominance every time they, they think yeah. of that trauma, traumatic experience. So this gradual approach rather than this hit it head on, which you can do, you know, rebirthing techniques, holotropic, mm-hmm. they will yeah. take you straight in there and go for it. Whereas I would rather somebody gradually expose themselves to that trauma over a longer period of time yeah for sure yesterday i was uh, attending another workshop not related to breathwork directly but uh during that we did one of the tre exercises which i'm sure you're familiar with as well and what was discussed was the fact that humans at least modern humans are perhaps the only species or uh, subset of the animal kingdom that does not have a method to release the trauma after experiencing it. Because if you see uh, what happens in the animal kingdom, whether it's a a zebra or a gazelle that is attacked by a predator, maybe a lion or a tiger, and for some reason they escape. So what ends up happening is when they go into that place where they are um, safe from that mortal danger, from that predator, they spend about five, ten minutes shaking. They shake mm-hmm. vigorously, almost as if releasing that stress, that trauma, and only then do they stand up and go back to normal. In other words, they don't let the stress or that trauma stay in their body for too long. But humans, when we experience something that's traumatizing, we tend to hold on it, hold it, hold it, bury it, bury it, until it comes out in some way that is least expected. right? And so what these practices are doing again is helping us, you know, shake that stress off or to release, initiate that trauma release. I love the trauma release exercises but to release that uh, that level of trauma that we're holding in our body through shaking. Mm-hmm. And you can see it as well when people do, you know, as you know, the the, uh, the energized meditation. We do we do some ambidexterity and some shaking afterwards, and people love it. They they actually come back at the end and say, "I didn't realize how." how much tension I had in my body until I started doing that. 
<clears throat> and that's it's like you say we are the only ones that will <laughs> will hold on to that and not not shake ourselves off. I watch my dogs doing it when they get up after sleeping for a bit. They come out, they stretch a little oh, bit, right. and then they, they have this they have this big this big shake. And yeah, they observe them doing it six seven times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've also noticed, like, uh, if you look at um, apes, particularly the gorilla, they will come out and they will, you know, hit hit their body and they will tap their chest. Now, I notice from the standpoint of qigong and even EFT, this is a tapping center. So I wonder if this is correlated mm-hmm. somehow. I mean, they do this when they want to show pride, but I, I don't know if... When they do this, they are trying to tap into that energy center that then changes their state. Because if you see, you know, body language experts, they're all all about, you know, different poses and how those poses influence our hormonal levels and how it makes us feel more confident. So I wonder if, you know, these primates, gorillas in particular, are doing it very intuitively. I think you should start your own little collective sort of group of chess beaters <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> yeah maybe scrambles. a men's retreat <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so uh, when it comes to sleep uh what have you found are some of the tools that have helped you maybe improve the quality of your sleep because sleep is such an underrated uh, experience right and it does so much for us what are your thoughts around that? If you'd asked me this question about three or four years ago, I would have said ultimately it was about sleep hygiene, about mm-hmm. what your temperature of your bedroom was like, what time you went to bed at, and how much blue light stimulation you had before you went to bed. Um, now I would answer that question with not only looking at sleep hygiene, but also looking at what are you doing throughout the day? So what do you do? And it's harder for us to stay in the Northern Hemisphere uh, and further away, we, we get less and less sunlight. But what do you do upon waking? Because when you're waking up, there's that natural circadian rhythm, which is triggering those hormone releases in your body. So you get outside and whatever sunlight is there, you expose yourself to that sunlight, definitely eyes wide open, send that message through the optic nerve into the suprachiasmatic nuclei and into the pineal gland and get those hormones stimulated. To, to get you into this natural rhythm of this is waking up time. If you are, like you said earlier on, if you are sensitive to caffeine, we'll do not have any caffeine after 12 o'clock. I have some friends that can drink coffee before they go to bed and still and still, and still go to bed and, and sleep. But you're not that person, which you take a bit of, again, personal experimentation. I'm not that person. I cannot drink coffee at all. So I never touch it. So throughout the day, what are you doing? Are you going out for a walk throughout the day and exposing yourself to sunlight and getting more sunlight on not just in your face on your arms if it's if it's warm enough, if it's warm enough, not in colder climates, but you know what are you doing throughout the day, which is then leading you up to that point when you're then starting to prepare for the other hormones come in for sleep. So about that's when your sleep hygiene comes in about eight o'clock nine p.m. You're priming yourself for sleep. It's when we go out with these normal parameters, this natural rhythm, it's when we go out with, out with them, not just what's happening at night, preparing your sleep, but what's happening through the day, 
that's when problems start to occur because our bodies are getting sent these different signals and messages. Um, the eye one is a really classic one because you're still looking at a computer screen at 10 o'clock at night when it's telling your brain that it's still daylight because you get this really bright blue light in front of you. You continue to produce those same daylight hormones when actually you're producing the. Mm-hmm. So the blue light glasses are great at, at, in the evening, not so good during the day because you want blue light exposure throughout the day. Not wearing sunglasses through the day can really yeah. help as well because you're you're building that circadian rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, I wear blue light blocking glasses, uh, which I got uh, fairly recently, and they for me have been really helpful, especially when it comes to um, avoiding um, or filtering the blue light in the evening, so that I can get prepared and get ready to to sleep. I mean, my laptop and phone does have those filters but then what about other places that I, might, that I might come across blue light at right so the blue light glasses are definitely amazing my question is what happens if somebody is living in a place like maybe where you're living or where i'm living where it's a, it's cloudy all throughout the year you have less sunshine and they're not able to go outdoors and sort of look straight into the sun or maybe uh, get some get some sunlight uh, and 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 sort of let the body know that you know now it's now's the time to wake up what have you found any alternatives to um, experiencing sunshine on a daily basis yeah um in the middle of winter here and we were coming out of um we're coming out of that 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 darker phase for us. It doesn't get light here till uh-huh. nine o'clock and it can get dark at three o'clock in the afternoon. And if you're working yeah. in, in an indoor, indoor building, yes, of course, you're going to be going to be very hard to get your your sun exposure, your vitamin D from, from natural light. So I, I, I would recommend vitamin D um, anywhere within the region of, of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a clinician or a, or a medical expert, but, I've read anything between 2,000 to 5,000 IU um, every day through the through winter months, but maybe a bit less depending on your exposure in the summer. And I have read that, I, that taking vitamin D with K2 is also very useful as well to help the absorption rate of, of calcium into your body. So there are these, these internal things that you can take to uh, to help keep your vitamin D levels up. But it doesn't matter... Um, whatever sunlight you can get and you can, if it is light, you know, it doesn't have to be, it can still be cloudy. Your body still recognizes it as light versus dark. Even person who has no vision, who is blind still has a circadian rhythm. They still have a message signaling to their brain that it's light. Their skin has receptors that you're, you're knowing that it's light. So whatever form of, of sunlight you can get, just because you don't stay in California, it doesn't mean you can still not get some exposure to light, to natural light. So I make a point of trying to go out and expose myself, my, my, my eyes, my skin, even if it's just my face, because it might be too cold, so I've got my hat right. on, trying to expose myself to that light to try and help keep that rhythm going. And in terms of uh, running or jogging, do you include that as part of your health regimen? Uh, because I, I go to the gym, uh, lift weights, I don't I don't jog. I don't run at the moment and I've been thinking about experimenting with that um you know and doing some of that to complement what I'm already doing. So do you do that or what are your thoughts around that? 
Um, I, I'm training for an event at the moment, actually, in Scandinavia. I'm training for a, a, a cross-country skiing race in Sweden, which is in a month's time. It's over 90 oh, nice. kilometers. It's, um, it's, it will take me about 10 okay. and a half hours. Um, so I need oh, to be training in, training in for that. It's a long one. Yeah. Um, but so I will, I will do some form of cardio. I mean, you can split into like low, medium and high intensities and you should do a good mixture of them. The, the, the stable, my bread and butter for me is strength training throughout the entire year. Two sessions of strength training mm-hmm. twice a week. Whereas my cardio, I might do a bit more. I might do a bit less because you're training in the gym doing strengthening is still cardiovascular. You're still signaling to your body that you have to increase your lungs and start breathing faster and harder and then recover from it. So it's still beneficial. It's like HIIT training. It's a small dose, but it's very beneficial. It doesn't have to be three hours of doing running. So there's a mixture of mental health there, getting out, getting, again, exposure to light uh, and getting your your headspace with cardio for me. Um, I do a, a good mixture of running, um, Nordic walking and roller skiing because um, I don't have we don't have the snow here to do cross country skiing, so I have to use road skis. So it's it's mixing it, but again, as we said, I learned the recovery as well. So when it comes to the strength training, do you do two sessions twice in a week, so four sessions, or you do sorry two, no two yeah, sessions, um, one session um, on a Tuesday, one session on a Thursday, so twice twice a week. Okay, twice a week. Yeah, okay. and, and mixing it with. <clears throat> Upper lower body, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I've been especially off late doing more research and reading about the benefits of grounding, whether it's grounding on sand or earth or grass. The more research that has been done, we're finding that we as human beings can benefit immensely from just taking off the slippers, taking off the shoes and touching our feet to the earth. Do you, do you get an opportunity to do that a lot? Because I know that these days you have all these different uh, devices and grounding mats that have become popular as well to sort of replicate in some way the effect of, you know, uh, just taking off your slippers and, uh, and walking bare feet. Every morning. Every morning without fail, uh, I let the dogs out the back door uh, to go and do their business yeah. in the garden. And I, I go out and walk around the grass um, every morning. It's without fail. I do up to three or four minutes of barefoot walking on the grass every morning. And actually just reading reading yesterday an article about why, why is it that when we go on holiday, we feel better and more relaxed? Mm-hmm. If you go on a beach holiday, think what you're doing for most of the time you're there. You're on bare feet on the sand. Yes, you're not working. Uh-huh. Yes, you're maybe getting up a bit later, but you're relaxing. You're getting sun on your skin. You're getting barefoot exposure on the sand. Maybe on the grass, you're getting the barefoot exposure as well. So there's quite a few things you can pull into that. But I think one of the things that sticks out there is that we are we're grounding ourselves for that two-week holiday that we maybe had mm-hmm. on the coast or in the be- on the beach. I, I love grounding. I also... I've also read somewhere that when you schedule your vacation in, in advance, three months, four months, five months, that anticipation is also really good for your for your mental wellness. Because then you're always looking forward to it, right? Your dopamine hits, right? You're like, oh, three months, two months, oh, one month, mm-hmm. oh, 30 days. And then you find out your flights are cancelled. 
<laughs> yep. but, uh, that is awesome that is awesome um now i know we've been speaking a lot about health or at least health when it comes to uh you know lifting weights our breath we're talking about sunlight exposure we're also talking about walking bare feet have you personally experienced um like what are your thoughts what is your spirituality like uh have you experienced have you had any profound spiritual experiences i know that a lot of people that do breath work do it for the spiritual uh, alignment benefits as well whereas some people do it mainly for the health benefits that can be measured that can be observed what, what about you when i did the wim hof method yes it was definitely for the the health benefits it was it was the cold exposure um right. and it was more it was more masculine it was more about the 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 robustness of me being able to go into the water and, and survive in the cold water. But as I started to go into Soma Breath, it became more apparent that it, it wasn't about these mechanical things. It was more about what was going on inside my brain and my mind. So I, I would, you know, we, we just briefly mentioned the 21-day awakening journey. I, I've done the 21-day awakening journey several times with Soma and got something different from it every time. Uh, my dad left home when I was when I was younger and there was a bit of trauma around that because the relationship with him from then onwards was very, was non-existent, very different. But in, in the summer breath, I would, I would keep going back to moments in my life where my dad wasn't there or episodes that would come up that would be very, very upsetting to me. And I would, I would end, end a journey or a meditation in floods of tears because like we're saying, I'm revisiting that trauma, I'm finishing the cycle and so on and so on. So for me, it, it, Soma Breath brought out more of the spiritual side of it, more of the, the in, in, internal stuff. It wasn't about the macho-ness. It wasn't about the Cold War exposure. It was about what's been going on in here, what's been holding me back, what are my limiting beliefs, what are my meta-programmings like? Am I still holding on to those, those limiting beliefs? Am I still programmed to respond this way and that way? So Soma Breath definitely allowed me to to deal with that and to 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 expose myself to that and as a result of it i definitely came through a more confident individual um, and ready to take on board new challenges without this fear without this i can't do that that's for somebody else you know this limiting belief that i had um so so absolutely it was it was a again an eye-opener for me Amazing, amazing. So what lies ahead for you in 2023 now? I've just done my, my second instructor, level one, in tra- uh, level one instructor training in London. So I'm actually one of the instructors teaching students to become breathwork instructors for Soma Breath. That's my second one in London. Um, I, would, I would like to see myself going further into that, um, being asked to help out with other instructor trainings, not just in the UK. Um, I'd also like to uh, expand on my, my business a little bit more to, um, to accommodate different sort of avenues and ventures, but I'll, I'll all, always um, aligned with the, the health and wellness um, road or route map that I've been following so far. Um, like I say, I've got my 
my challenge in Sweden, which is a is a big challenge. You know, it's ten and a half hours on your feet, so that's a big one I'm preparing for. And I like I like having that challenge, I like having that goal as well. So it's it's been a good start for 2023 for me. Wonderful. Uh, so thanks a lot for sharing your story, your uh, experiences with breathwork, and, uh, and 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 all these different levers that we explored today when it comes to experiencing better health outcomes, experiencing more bliss, more joy, and really helping people thrive in their lives. For somebody who wants to learn more about you, how can they find out? So I have my website, uh, uk. Uh, I can be found there. Um, if there are any, anybody interested in Soma Breath, and we have our online platform. I, I have instruct sessions every sort of two or three weeks on Soma as well. So I can be social media as well. You'll find me Instagram and Facebook as well. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll be sure to have those links up in the show notes. Action thank Tribe, you. thank you so much for attending our show. If you liked what you listen to then um make sure that you write us an itunes rating and review make sure you visit our website my7chakras.com if you would like to experience your own soma experience then go to my7chakras.com forward slash soma my7chakras.com forward slash soma if you have any comments feedback or if you would like to share something reach out to me at aj at my7chakras.com Com. Once again, thank you so much, Nigel, for coming on our show, talking to us about the, or giving us a reason to go back to our primal selves, eat better, sleep better, move better, breathe better, and truly hitting our potentials as individuals, as beings here on planet Earth. Thank you so much, Ditya, for having me on your, your podcast. It's been great, and I've loved having this discussion and chat with you. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My S-E-V-E-N Chakras.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.